Hey guys, welcome to the LT Brings the Heat podcast. We're your hosts, Sean Laird and Adam Heisler, where we talk about baseball and sports performance. With topics ranging from coaching, business, and player development, our goal is to bring you a no BS approach to development in baseball and sports performance. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's rock and roll. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of LT Brings the Heat. We're your host, Sean Laird and Adam Heisler. Uh, we got an episode today uh, recording. We're going to talk about a couple uh, of different topics. It's been a little while since we recorded, and we're going to kind of talk about some some new things that we're going to do with the podcast here coming up. Um, but we're also going to kind of touch on the season. Like up here in Indiana, we're just now getting started with with games. Like some teams are in the beginning of their second week, some teams are in their third week. Um, and I know down in Bama, they've been rock and roll, and they're getting towards the end, getting ready to start postseason. From what Adam and I were just talking about. Um, but we're going to kind of touch on some things that we've been noticing and we've been talking about in the facilities a little bit, uh, with clients coming in, uh, and, and some things with parents, but, uh, we're excited to kind of touch on and, uh, speak to you guys today, but what's going on down in Bama, Adam? Yeah, nothing too much. We, uh, took a little break. Sean had a spring break. Um, uh, we've just been running rampant down here with the teams going and with high school and full swing. Like you said, we only have, I think four more games, mostly until the playoffs will start up. And playoffs will be here. Then before you know it, the summer ball season is going to kick off. So it's kind of a good time to bring up a couple of topics that we're going to talk about today to kind of give the ins and outs of what's going on, uh, mid-season lessons, if you're trying to just start now working, and how we've been warning you guys that you should have been in way early before the season to get ready for it. And now I think some guys are struggling and they're looking for help. So what's some things we can do to try to help them, or is it too late? We'll kind of discuss that. Also discuss kind of how to adjust different timing to pitches. Uh, before we came on, me and Sean were talking about some hitters, some timing issues our hitters were having just from high school baseball facing all different types of velocity. So we'll dive deep into that. But how's the uh, season going? I know y'all just kicked off about two weeks ago. So how's the season going for most of your guys? Oh, it's 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 awesome right now. We had um, my uh, a lot of my clients. They were kind of getting ready, and it's like, hey, when's the season start? When's the season going to start? And it's it's weird because we have spring break, and some teams will play through spring break, and some teams um, will take spring break completely off. So different organizations or different schools are starting at different times. And my softball girls, they've been playing for almost damn near a month, mm-hmm. uh, which is awesome, and, and it's been cool to see them going. But yeah, they've been getting after it, you know, and, and for, for me, it's it's really cool to be able to get a chance to go out and see them. So this this past week, I was going to try to go see them. We had a bunch of rain outs. So I'm going to try to go see a couple of my guys and a couple of the teams play this next, this coming weekend and, and start building up on that home run total. I think we're at seven as of yesterday after the first couple of weeks of, uh, of Jacks here at LT. So it's exciting to kind of see how guys are going. We had a couple of guys hit some, uh, um, have a good nights last night. So for us, when it comes to, you know, season, and as you were saying, guys that have been kind of bouncing back in from the facility, they're like, coach, man, like, I don't understand. Like sometimes we're facing 88 and then the next day we're facing 72. Like, this is crazy. Like, how do I make these adjustments? And I'm glad you kind of started talking about it, but I kind of want to have you guys, cause you guys have been deeper into the season. What have you been telling your guys and kind of what's been your approach to kind of say, Hey, like you're going to be facing guys from different ends of the spectrum. We're going to face in the high velo guys. You're going to face in the guys that are super, super slow. Um, and it's going to kind of test you a little bit. Like, what are kind of some of the advice and some of the things you kind of approaching on with these guys? Yeah. So we spent a lot of time with the hack attack, the velo machine to get these kids ready. And it's funny, one of our more top hitters got off to, I think he was 0 for 15 to start the season and he was worried. He was not happy. He was freaking out of course. And uh, now I think he's first in the state in home runs and he's like fourth in the country or something like that. So it all started to click for him. But one big thing that we had to hit on was, 
he had just finished up the, the summer circuit playing elite travel ball. He was on the top team. I think at the time is with the East coast Sox this summer, he's going to be with the Knights, but he spent a lot of time in the summer facing elite level pitching. And then when you get back to your high school, especially depending on what classification you are, you're not going to always face that elite level pitching every single night. So he was really having to slow everything down because he was back to facing maybe it was mid seventies or low eighties. And every now and then you'll run into a guy every now, uh, every night. But one big thing that we had to kind of really approach with him was he had to start later and almost like he's sitting on off-speed pitches just to slow his bat down and slow his eyes down. He was moving just way too fast, jumping at the ball, leaping at the ball, doing the front side move, trying to make everything happen instead of just let the ball come to him. So I really – a good advice I got, it was actually from Bailey Montgomery at uh, Butler University. I kind of had texted him back and forth. We talked uh, probably every other week just about hitting stuff. And uh, he said, just try to remind them like they're playing wiffle ball or lob ball in the backyard and when they're facing these guys that – like I'm not saying don't get serious, but you almost have to trick your brain to, hey, I'm just hitting batting practice right now. It's not a live game where a guy's throwing 88 miles an hour. So that was one thing that helped. And then also just starting your gathering your load later, so to speak, and trying to foul ball – foul a ball off on the opposite side of the field just to kind of – really make sure you're letting that ball travel. So I think between that and doing a couple of new drills that we added into our routines of we'll do one now, we call it the change up drill where we really making sure we'll load, get into our position, get the foot down super early. And we just have to challenge ourselves to wait for that ball to come to us, whether it's tossed or even off the tee, sometimes we'll mix it in batting practice, but it just helps them feel landing in a strong position and it really makes them focus on the ball coming to them. So, and if you start to notice they're super early, like they'll trick their brain into thinking, how long can I let this ball travel to me before I get my swing off? So that's big, some big things because yes, at the top level of baseball, major league baseball is the hardest to hit for sure. But high school baseball is so hard from a, a difference of the variety of guys you're going to face. So maybe you face a three, a 3A school and their top pitcher throws 78 miles an hour and then on the weekend, you play a 6A school and they have a guy pumping 88 to 92. And so it's a big change going back and forth. And you'll see those elite little hitters that are used to the velocity. Uh, the first thing they want to do is kind of tell their stuff, like, oh, I can't hit slow pitching. Like, I can only hit fast pitching. And what I've been trying to tell them and help them understand is that's great. But, like, if you're supposed to be an elite level hitter, you got to be able to hit all types of velocity. And so it's been like a challenge to them. Like, hey, just don't tell me you're the guy that, well, I can hit 92, but I can't hit 75. Well, Try to figure it out because I promise you when these stats are being put in at the end of the season, it's not going to have an asterisk saying, well, he hit this against top guys, but then he hit this against everybody else. So they're not going to worry about that. It's when you're out there, just try to compete the best you can and make your adjustments. And you'll know which guys that you're about to face going into the night. So if you know you're facing a slow guy that day, just challenge yourself and BP to sit back as long as possible to on my cage work as long as possible of letting the ball travel to me. So I submit some big things that's going on. And I know before we came on here, you had mentioned your guys had mentioned kind of the same stuff of man coach, how am I supposed to hit this, this average high school pitching or even below average high school pitching early in the season, especially when they all want to get off to good starts. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's something like this year, I feel like we've talked about it a lot more and we've talked about with guys in the past and especially the, the elite travel guys in the past, that come in, in high school, like you were saying, um, there's always a couple of things that advice. And it's funny. You mentioned um, the, the Butler coach was talking about, we, we, we kind of teach them and we tell them, like, I, I say it a little bit differently. I'm like, Hey, you've got to go up there. So relaxed. You've got to go up there. So calm. And I know it's, it's easy for the anxiety to kick in. You're like, you're, you're jumpy and you're really trying to get after it. 
And it's like, you can't be the guy that's jumpy at the plate when you're facing this kind of pitching. You've actually got to kind of take down, like, like lower that heart rate, relax, breathe. And you've got to sit here and think about this guy's throwing slow as hell. He's not going to beat me. So I've got to sit here. The only way I'm going to get out is I'm going to beat myself. So, and I, I talk about, and I preach on this really hard about holding your launch position Yep. And, and I'll use um, A-Rod, and I don't know who was throwing, but some position player came in. This is years and years and years ago. And some position player came in and was throwing these super slow lollipop, <laughs> like Ephus pitches to the plate. And there's a video of him floating around somewhere. I wish I had it, um, where he's literally, he loads and separates, gets to his last position, he holds, and it looks like he's holding for a clear two seconds, which in baseball you know, terminology, two seconds is an eternity at the plate. It's, not, it's probably not that long. But he sits there and holds and then sits and holds that 45 and all of a sudden just pow, pow, just explodes. It's like a 400-foot bomb. And, and he talk, it, I sit there and I talk about it all the time and I'll use these guys. And I need to use the link and start sending the link to the guys so they can understand that. But we'll, we'll purposely say, hey, man, like I know that you're geared up in the season. We're purposely trying to prepare for those 90-mile-an-hour arms and get you ready, get the hands going and flowing. Um, but it's also discipline, too. It's like we've got to treat every pitch like it's an off-speed pitch. And our approach usually is center to, to, to right center with most of our guys. Some guys will, will go center, left center, depending on the, the strengths and weaknesses of the hitter. Um, but then we just move down the line. Um, so we usually will say, hey, we're going to think right field line. And sometimes I have to be clear. We talk about semantics all the time. So I go, does that mean that I'm saying you're going to hit it down the right field line? I go, no. It just means that you're thinking right field line so that ball gets deep enough and you let it travel enough in order to get that ball in the zone a little bit longer. And I kind of treat it like – those slow, like those lefty 12-6 curveballs. Like I used to have to think like that myself as a hitter, like really keep the shoulder on and let that ball travel a little bit. Um, and I go, listen, we're gonna do we're gonna do this with screen toss, and I'm gonna throw a BP super slow. Um, and we're gonna try to get you some feels, and we'll still work our, our hard velo, but sometimes I'll go back and forth. I'll go, all right, for the next 10 pitches, I'm gonna go hard BP. Next 10 pitches, I'm gonna go slow BP. And we do it a lot at screen toss as well because we can kind of pinpoint exactly where we're going to throw. Because those slow guys, like most pitchers, obviously, they're taught, hey, we're going to pitch away to hitters. We're going to pitch away, pitch away, pitch away. So a guy's pitching away and he's throwing slow. It's going to, the, the perceived velocity throwing away is going to be even slower than what it would be if it would be middle or inside. And so that's where we're kind of getting on. And then we're working on, like you said, the pause. We're on the same page right there where you're talking about you get your stride foot down super early and you're almost like kind of waiting. And, We'll do so many pause reps and so many launch position separation reps where we're holding that and holding that 45. And I had some guys, I had two guys that are specifically playing for a 2A team, which up here in Indiana, there's there's four classes of baseball. And 2A, there's a lot of guys that are gonna be throwing in the 60s and low 70s. And his first game, or one of their one of the first games, hit lasers, a couple doubles, and then they, against a decent pitcher. And then it was slow from there on out. And he said, I was out front. I, I had a couple of singles while I was popping up and I wasn't really hitting the ball as hard. Um, and, and your example of your guy starting out over 15, that's a perfect example of a guy that makes a phenomenal adjustment. The guy that has phenomenal tools, um, but also phenomenal mental toughness. Like there's a lot of guys that start out over 15 or over 20 or whatever. And they kind of break down and they start pointing the finger and trying to blame somebody or they are they're like well this is happening because this this pitching sucks instead of saying you know what i gotta i gotta make an adjustment i gotta beat these guys and and the big thing for me the biggest results that i see when guys actually make those adjustments um obviously holding that launch position in a good spot longer but to me it's just slowing everything down like and i i'll use the terms like we're going to slow down the fast throwers the harder throwers and we're going to speed up the slow throwers and the way we do that is like you said we're going to start super late we have a template of when we start our load we're going to 
test that in the on deck circle and in the hole where you're waiting and you're going to work on actually practicing your swing. For me, I see a lot of guys, I'm like, Hey, work on your timing. And they're just working on their stride. And it, it, it annoys me. It pisses me off. Cause I'm like, dude, like there's two parts to your timing. There's your stride and there's your actual swing. Like, yes, you're sometimes your stride is going to get down super early. Sometimes it's going to get late. We've got to make sure that we're pulling the trigger with the upper half, just as much as we're in the bottom half um, when it comes to timing. So I have guys actually work on their swing and I'll get guys in the cages next to me and we'll work on kind of either they're hitting off the tee, watching me tracking the ball and then they hit off the tee or they're, they're envisioning hitting a low and outside pitch or the away pitch um, that may be 68, 65, 70 miles an hour from there. Um, I heard there was a, there was a coach the other day talking about putting the pitching machine on really slow, which I don't advise doing that uh, personally. Cause it just, I would feel like I would drop my hands and go even further. Cause I don't see any kind of arm action. There's no timing mechanism for me. Like, and I've talked about this before. Like, I don't have any issues with guys working on fastball velo. If I was going to put them on the pitching machine, I would just throw slow curveballs instead of like the slow fastballs personally. Um, but I was kind of talking to a coach about that the other day. Um, but yeah, man, like that's that to me, that's kind of the X's and O's of what I do to kind of slow everything down for them or, or also AKA speed up those pitchers a little bit, because that's the thing about hitting in high school, like, and people wonder why like guys at the next level, well, this kid in high school tore it up. Mm-hmm. Well, he tore it up against what kind of pitching, you know, and there's, there's a big difference between guys that hit. I've had guys on the bulls that'll hit two a pitching really well. And they come to the bulls and maybe they hit 180 to 200 because they're facing more elite level pitching. And they have to be on their toes and, and kind of be more prepared for that elite level. And it's just a big difference. And it's a drastic difference of going from pitcher to pitcher. And it takes a lot of toughness and also awareness of what your body's doing, awareness of what the pitcher's doing, and awareness of how to start your body in a lot of those instances. Yeah. And one big thing I've done lately, especially since we've been working on maybe the slower type of pitching, is if I'm doing screen toss or front toss and I notice they're early and spinning off, I'll throw the next pitch even slower. And I continue to work down until they make the adjustment of, all right, you're going to let this ball finally get to you or you're going to continue hitting rollovers to the shortstop because you're so early on it. So it basically just tricks them that like coach Adams is not going to flip this thing regular until I get it corrected. And it helps them understand right away how to get it corrected right away. So that's one thing. And then like we both talked about getting to our launch early. It's funny because we've had guys get to the launch. We'll do our rap. So we'll do it with rap Soto and blast on and, how many guys are hitting the ball maybe even harder with getting to their launch earlier and they're having faster bat speeds from it. So it's helping them understand, like, even though if I got it down super early, like I'm still hitting the balls even harder or just as hard as I normally do. So maybe I don't need that big move that I used to have. It's just get to my spot on time and I'm still going to hit the ball hard, especially when you face these elite level guys of more simple. It is the easier it is to repeat. So now it's, Let's take away the big moves and the big slop that we have and get to our spot on time and literally just feel like we're catching the barrel and letting the big guys supply the power. So it's been cool to kind of make some adjustments, even within our own pro- uh, progressions that we're doing here at the facility. And I think it's just the best way to kind of learn what's going on on the field. And it, and it goes back to the communication we're having with our hitters of, hey, what are you struggling with out there? So now how can we help fix it while you're working with us right now? Because we see you one day a week where the other six days, what are you really trying to work on? So Mm -hmm. we always talk about it on here back and forth is you've got to understand why you're struggling and be able to relate that to your pitcher or relate that to your hitting coach. What are you, what are you struggling against against certain pitchers or certain pitches? Maybe that way, when you come in, it's not just, Hey coach, uh, let's just go through our normal routine today. Well, that's fine to get your normal routine in, but if you're struggling with something, we've got to try to make that adjustment so we can get that fixed in order to get you back on the right track. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a, that's a perfect segue into kind of what we're going to touch on a little bit now is kind of guys that are, 
that didn't necessarily start lessons in the off season. They're kind of jumping in last second and they're wanting to start lessons, whether it's in season or maybe they started right before season. Um, Cause a part of that, like you're talking about guys, knowing, knowing what their mistakes are, awareness of their weaknesses, awareness of their strengths and being able to communicate with their coach. You know, what are you doing those six days? You know, that's part of what a hitting coach does is help you guys understand that and teach you guys that in the off season. Um, and to kind of preface this before we get going is, um, Adam and I are going to, we're going to kind of build on this podcast a little bit. And we're going to start uploading clips, uh, kind of short tips of the day, um, when it comes to hitting or recovery or pitching, strength conditioning or whatever, something that we're passionate about, something that really hits us. Um, I released something the other day on, on, on YouTube I shared, and it was kind of the topic of understanding one coach, one philosophy when it comes to hitting mechanics and kind of not getting your mind kind of, kind of warped and, and kind of struggling with that mentality. Um, I'm going to upload that on the podcast and, and we're going to start doing that here and there. Cause there's so many things that kind of hit us as coaches that we get really passionate about. And for me, I, for me personally, I really have to get it out in the open sometimes because you get so passionate about it and you want to, you want to educate, but also, you know, you want to kind of help people understand the game as much as possible, as well as understand the process. And me and Adam have talked about this a little bit, but I'm going to kind of let you take over Adam about guys that maybe necessarily didn't work in the off season. Maybe they're wanting to start lessons now. And, 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 and I always say this, like, there's nothing wrong with starting lessons in season. You can make gains in season hundred percent. Is it optimal? No, we would want to start in the off season and kind of build from there. Um, but I've kind of helped these guys understand, you know, where we're coming from and kind of understand this process behind them, you know, Hey coach, you know, coach Adam, I, I, I haven't seen you in like eight months, but I just had two bad weeks. And I really need you to help come in here and wave a magic wand. And help me out right here. Yeah, it's tough. It, it, it's very tough. Never will we tell a kid that we don't want to work with them. But at the same time, we're going to be real with you and tell you, hey, where were you to get ready for the season? And why are you just now coming to us? Are you coming to us because you're having these two bad weeks? Well, if we would have been working maybe to get ready for the season, maybe we're not having those struggles right now. And we're having a little bit better line of open communication. So uh, it's funny because I've been getting some texts like that lately. And I think there's been two reasons why. Number one is a lot of our hitters are really doing really, really well. And we always talk about on here is when our hitters do well, it's the best advertisement in the world for us. But they're doing really well because of the hard work they've put in and the small amount of help that we've helped guide them in the right direction. And then the second thing is everybody automatically thinks something's wrong with their swing when they're not having success on the field. And sometimes that is the case, but other times it is the timing. It is a pitch selection, some other stuff that goes into it with it. So when we get these texts, number one, I'm going to give you a hard time. I gave the guy a hard time when I got this message a couple weeks ago and said, basically, where were you eight months prior? And he kind of just said, sorry, coach, I was busy, but like, I really need your help now. And I said, all right, we're going to see what we can do, but we don't have this magic potion or magic wand, like Sean said, that can get you back into the groove. So what I like to do with guys that are coming in midseason, like Sean said, like, it's fine. We can make it work, but maybe we're not going to reach that maximum potential until we actually get months and months and months to develop exactly what we're looking for out of you and what you do really well. And how can we get you to continue to progress? So with all of our guys, if we haven't seen them in a while, or if they're new guys, the first night is honestly not even really a lesson. It is a we're going to watch you go through the stretch routine. We're going to watch your way your body moves from assessment wise. We're going to get video of you off the T off toss and off BP. And then we'll try to go over a video with you on, Hey, what we're going to work on going forward. So what I like to do with guys that are just now coming in is let's watch that video. And we're going to try to find one or two things that we can maybe do a quick fix on. And if we can find those, we'll go right back in the cage and work maybe one of those two things. Now, the last thing I want to do is, 
start breaking down a video and maybe my eyes are telling me there's seven different things that they're doing wrong, but I don't want to tell them all seven different things because they're going to leave more confused than when they came in. So it's, let's try to find one or two things that are the most important. What I think is, is getting to your spot on time. So are they getting there? If not, that's where we've got to fix number one. And then number two is where's their bat working in a position and what path is it working on? And then let's see that boom. And then, Hey, there's your two things you're going to work on. These are the drills. I'll show them. And then once their time is finished, it's, hey, you continue to go do these on your own. Here's my number. If you ever have a question what it is, text me. I'll send you a video of it. One thing I want to get really good at and I think that we're going to be able to do is we're going to be doing these tips and drills as well with our videos that we work with on hitters or throwers, whatever we're doing. So now we're going to be able to have these access to videos for maybe a guy that forgot what the hip coil load drill is. Oh, oh I'm going to go to the YouTube page, pull it up real quick. And, oh, that's what it was exactly because – it is funny how some kids will leave the facility and then they forget some things they worked on. And then you get them back in there and like, Oh crap, coach, my bad. I forgot this one. And it's like, all right, that's you're, you're not understanding this. You need to take everything you're learning today and take that with you. Just like what you learned at class today, you've got to take that home to get ready for that test. So having these videos out there is going to be good for parents as well as for kids that are looking to get better. Or Maybe I don't need this drill. So guess what? You don't have to watch that one. Maybe this is the one that coach Adam or coach Sean says, I need to really work on to get my lower half right. So I'm going to study this one and add this to my routine. So more than anything, it's just these guys that are coming in now is understand that it's not going to be a quick, easy fix. We're not like a, a Band-Aid fix. I wish it was that easy, but it it's not. And I don't know how to stress that even more. And the last thing before I turn it over to you, Sean, is these guys that come in and maybe it's some parents. I've had a dad come in and we were talking about this a couple weeks ago and he said, hey, uh, I really want to work on this with my son on a pitching standpoint. Now it's hitting his hitting's fine. I just need him to get reps in. And I kind of responded with like, well, I'm a hitting coach. I'm not a BP thrower. So if he's coming here, like I'm going to try to get him better by getting in the right mechanics. And the dad was kind of standoffish about it. I said, look, I'm just, it is what it is. Like it, I, he's a 10 year old kid. I doubt he has the top level mechanics right now. Mm -hmm. You may think so. And maybe that's what it is, but he's not going to come in our facility and just use us for, us to throw in BP and we're not allowed to say anything to him. Like, I don't understand number one, why you're paying us. And then number two, like, I don't understand exactly why you're here. If he just wants to do pitching, that's fine. We'll just do pitching and he doesn't hit in here. But if any kids ever training in our facility, like we're going to coach him and we're going to coach him hard. We're going to try to coach him the right way. And if that's not for you, then I'm sorry, but the high school heat Academy isn't for you either. So you can just try to find somewhere else. Maybe that will throw little Johnny some batting practice and he can get his work in that way. But I wanted to get that off. Sean, what, what's some things that guys are coming to you about? I know I saw that video and I thought it was awesome. And I thought it was real, just like you always are. And it gets the point across to maybe too many voices. Too many voices isn't a good thing. We've got to find one. We've got to find one. And everybody works together. And hitters, when we talk about voices, it's what makes it click for you. Maybe it's not for everybody, but what makes it click for you? Yeah, absolutely. And and to kind of start off is that 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 ass ain't coming from BP and, and where am I do get off your own ass and throw your own son if you're looking for reps, dude. Like you're gonna come in and ask us to, to to throw BP and give the kids some reps. And also if your son's that good at hitting at 10 years old, dude, you should open up your own facility and start creating Mike Trout's all over the place. Like I had a dad that was similar like that four or five years ago. And, and, and I, I go, Hey, so I always ask the parents just to kind of get, they have no idea that I'm testing them when I ask yeah. them this question. Now they do, if they're listening to this podcast, but I'm like, <laughs> Hey, on a scale of one to 10, how good do you think your hit it, your kid is on you know, as a projection, to a division one baseball player. And most parents will answer the question somewhat correctly. 
Um, and then every now and then you'll have a parent like he's like a nine or a ten. He's like he's he's already good. He's he's legit. And I had this dad that that said nine or a ten. He's like his hitting's great. His hitting's awesome. And I'm kind of like, dude, what are you doing here? Like thinking that in the back of my head, I didn't say anything. Oh well, we'll see. I said I always the first lesson I'll do some video and I'll analyze and I'll say kind of where we need to go with them. Some things I do the same thing in the weight room. Like I've had kids come in and go. I was like, what's your experience in the weight room? They're like seven out of ten. And I go the end of the workout. They go, what do you think it is now? probably a two or a three, like, you know, <laughs> your experience is based on your experience. You know, your work ethic is based on what you think is hard. Like you, you don't know what you don't know. And so anyways, that dad, at the end of the lesson, the kid was, the kid was at a two or a three. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was seeing a result on the field of a single or, or ground balls between the five. Cause he hit a lot of balls in the five, six hole. He was seeing that as like, well, his hitting's awesome. Like he's getting hits all the time in the five, six hole. And um, he was playing rec ball. I wasn't playing elite level competition and so forth. Anyways, long story short, I kind of told that dad, I was like, Hey, listen, like your kid's got some, some great ability. I obviously I'll, I'll tell him the, the truth. I'll, I'll be up front, but I'll say, Hey, your kid's really quick twitch. He's got good bat speed. Um, but he rolls over everything, hits everything into the ground side. So we're going to work on really trying to go gap to gap. Cause I think he's got some ability to really have some pop as he gets older. And it was all positive things. Um, long story short, I never saw that guy again. <laughs> so, yep. um, <laughs> and it's all right. You know, every, yeah, I'd say, you know, one or two guys out of, you know, 50 or whatever, sometimes that happens and, and, and it is what it is. You know, uh, working for greatness isn't for everybody. Sometimes the world needs average people too. And if that's the mindset for people, they're going to roll with it. Um, but anyways, to kind of, to kind of preface on that, when guys are coming in uh, or kind of talk on that and elaborate on that, when guys are coming in, in season, I, at the, the, basically the, you know, guys that come in and there's a lot of people that sign up, uh, in the middle of lessons, I get super pumped about, cause like you just said, like our guys are really showing right now when it comes to hitters and it's, it's, it's awesome form of flattery when guys are like, Hey, like we just had five or six people sign up and, and sign waivers in this past week. And just from referrals from people, Hey, you know, Johnny's doing well, you know, Brady's doing really well. Like, Hey, I, I want to get in on this and it's awesome. And I love it. But we always have to tell them and, and explain to them like, hey, like, you know, Brady's working the last eight months out of the season uh, in the offseason. And he's literally completely built himself into what he's doing right now. We can't, you know, in span of two to four weeks, boom, like click all of a sudden and be like, hey, you're the exact same. You're going to have the exact same results as him. Um, everybody, you know, ages in different ways and everybody grows in different ways. And, and sometimes it takes, you know, three, four months to things click. Sometimes it takes, you know, a month. And sometimes it takes longer and, and, and kind of guys build into it. It's, it's all based on strengths and weaknesses. Um, and it's, it's a sincere form of flattery. And people are like, Hey, like you're, you are making all these elite hitters and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, we're guiding guys through the process. Do I say that we make elite hitters? Hell yeah. I say that, but I'm going to tell you right now, the guys that work hard and listen to what we're saying, like, and like you were say, just saying is like the guys that they, Hey, do, do this drill this week. It's going to help you with this. And they're putting in that work and then it completely helps them fix that flaw or, or alleviate some flaws. The, those are the guys that make gains in this, in this world. It's like guys, the same thing at schoolwork. Like, you know, you go home and you work on the stuff you need to work on and it shows in, in your grade show in the classroom. Like you've got to do stuff outside of your lessons and outside of your games in order to be great. You know, the worst kid on the team is doing the same amount of reps as you are in practice. So if you're not doing extra, it's, it's not going to play, but to kind of touch on what you were saying before and, I'll upload that episode the next day or so. Um, cause I loved it. It, it. I got done with it and I was like, man, that was, that was good. That was straight from the heart. Um, but I had a kid, uh, it was an assistant coach. It was talking about a drill. Um, and there was a couple other things. There was a dad asking about not changing certain things 
um, with his son. And, and I was just kind of like, what the hell? Like kids, your kid's been in here for six months. Like, like, and the dad didn't say that to me, but the dad said it to the son and the son repeated it out loud and said, like, my dad's just worried about, you know, people changing certain things and, 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 and changing mechanics. And I go, what the hell does that mean? I said, we've changed, your swings changed completely the last six months. I go, if we change things, we change them for the better. Otherwise don't come anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of mindset, it just, it, it, it irritates me. It's like, Hey, like, if the kid's doing well right now, we're going to build on him doing well. And that kid's lead. Ironically, that kid's leading this team about an average right now. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Yeah. But so coaches and certain aspects of certain coaches, there's a lot of guys that feel like they have to change things constantly. And this one coach was basically dogging a drill that I have my kids do. And it kind of fired me up and he didn't have any time context behind it. He didn't give a reason why he didn't give, you know, what he thinks is best. It didn't give, you know, Hey, what's your, what's your issue? What's your problem? And for me as a hitting coach and guys that are going to hitting instructors, you have to understand what the guy is trying to achieve. What's he trying to achieve? What's the kid's weaknesses? What's the context behind his weaknesses? What's his physical limitations? We talk about mobility and strength and being able to rotate, have an efficiency and rotation in the bottom half. Um, some guys are hyper mobile and that affects them at the plate. Like you talk about all the time hitting in a phone booth. Um, and I, I've heard you say that a million times. And when I heard you say that, I was like, that's awesome. Because I used to say between two walls, phone booth is so much easier to explain. Like guys that are hyper mobile in their spine or, or hyper mobile in their bottom half, like that's very hard for them to turn in a tight window. And so like, am I going to work on more mobility with that kid? No, we're going to work on more, more stability and, and, and tight turns and really work on, you know, actually tension in his body a little bit to kind of help him with those inside pitches and so forth. Um, but anyways, long story short is in this game, if we have done a bunch of different voices, the old adage, my dad used to box back in the day. I did a little bit myself, obviously, when I was growing up and, and, and going to this game. And I love boxing. And, and, and the old adage is you need one coach in your ear. And one coach in your ear is so you don't have distractions. You don't have other people saying different things. You don't confuse the player. Because if you have a dad saying one thing and you have a, a coach saying another thing and your hitting coach saying something completely different, this kid is going to have zero clue what to focus on and zero clue what to do. And as a parent, if you invest money into having a kid with a hitting coach, a uh, hitting instructor, let your hitting instructor do his job, period. Um, you might have to help your kid with timing and reps and stuff like that and certain things. And if you want to know what your coach is doing then you, or what the hitting coach is doing, then you need to know. Like, build upon what he's saying. Use the same language. There's nothing I love more than when a parent comes in and goes like, hey, I want to make sure I'm using the same language. Um, we'll be watching from afar or I'm going to have my kid update me. Um, exactly what you're doing. Most of the high school kids come by themselves. Parents drop them off because the parents trust us. Um, but I explain to the kids as much detail as possible. I don't like teaching robots. And that's why I think a lot of coaches do is they're like, Hey, you're going to do this drill, this drill, this drill. And there's a certain uh, school that I know uh, in a certain vicinity of, of kids that I train, I won't mention, but they've been doing the same three drills every off season for the last five years. Yep. And it's, it has not changed. They're doing the exact same drills the exact same mindset. And I'd be willing to bet that coach doesn't really teach it very well. And they're, they're not changing anything. And, and, and I said in the, that, that episode clip, I go, you know, the, the only constant is change. You know, if you're not changing, you're not growing, you're not adapting, you're not teaching different this year than what you were five years ago. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're, you're clinging on something that held in the past. Now, is there irrefutable truth? Is there irrefutable data that's going to work? Yes, there is. But there's always a better way of doing things. There's always a cleaner way of doing things. There's always 
you know, the same exact drill might have four or five variations to work with four or five different kids. Um, there's so many different things that we can do and adjust to kind of help kids. Like give an example. One of my favorite drills in the world is called an inward turn drill. It helps teach kids to coil, help teach the kids to load in the bottom half, help teach the bottom, uh, the, the swing path. It helps teaches the sequence of the swing. There's a million things that it does. Some guys, I, I, I allow them to rotate their lead foot and work on heel plant to start the swing. Some guys will spin their front foot so they have no bottom half and their heel never really hits the ground. There's no heel, there's no ground contact. And with that, they're basically swinging on one leg, leaning back. They're getting way too much. There's a spine angles just collapsing on the backside and they spin off the ball. So with that drill, certain guys, I have to have them keep their heels on the ground. And so they can feel that ground force production and, and actually execute the sequence in the swing. Uh, uh, most coaches, they'll look at this and go, oh, so this is the drill that you're doing. Okay, I'm going to have everybody do this drill. And you have literally, you got 60 kids on the team, and you got 60 different versions of the drill that's being executed because they don't understand the context and the purpose behind it. And so for me as, as, a, as a hitting coach, it is so important for you to understand and have your kids understand the whys, have your kids you know, understand what they're trying to do. I had a kid the other day who was like, I just, you know, I started out really hot in the last couple of games. I'm rolling over on everything. I go, well, are you doing these, you know, three or four drills that got you the swing that that's going right now that helped you alleviate some of these weaknesses of pulling the front side? Because, well, no, I just hit BP all the time. I go, well, dude, that's your problem. Like right now in the season, you're getting nothing but overhand. You're getting nothing but overhand BP and overhand in the game. You have to do those little things. And I use Kobe Bryant as an example, and I'll, and I'll kind of transfer this over to you, Adam, but, Kobe, but people used to ask Kobe Bryant, like, hey, why are you doing all these basic things all the time? Like, you're, you're the best player in the NBA. Why are you doing this? And I heard this quote from him, and he goes, I'm the best player in the NBA because I do the basic things better than everybody else. Yep. And, and, and that's the thing is, like, I think we forget, like, your swing is like a car. If you buy this brand new car, right, you don't just buy this car and like, boom, it's done. It's perfect. It's awesome. You have to change the oil. You have to check the fluids. You have to get make sure the brakes are working well. You, you have to make sure you're taking it in and, and getting checkups. Your swing is exactly the same way. You have to make sure you're checking things off and doing your due diligence of taking care of the car. You're washing it. You're cleaning it. You know, there's so many things that go into the swing. You can't just sit here and take BP all day. If BP was the answer to everybody's problems, everybody would be the best hitter in the world. Like everybody gets BP in season. Um, but it's the X's and O's and things and, and, and co head coaches, uh, for high schools or colleges being on the same page as their hitting instructors is so important. And you don't have to know exactly like detail word for word. Like I have to treat this like the Bible. You just have an idea in the context of behind what's the kid's faults. What's the coach trying to do? Okay. Let's build upon what these faults are. This kid spins off his front side. Let's work on some drills to help him with that. Okay. This is the drill you're doing. Teach me this drill. This coach is trying to, to work on. Let's get the context behind it. And we're going to work on building with this, but also here's a couple other things that I really like as well. It's going to help you with pulling the front side. And, and that's how we work together. And that's how we do it. It's not, Hey, this coach is, you know, this drill is stupid. I don't know what you're doing. I don't like this drill or, Hey, you're going to do what I say when you're with me and you can, you know, ignore what this guy is saying. Like, nah, man, like that's just, that's just not how we grow the game. That's not how we teach guys to perform at elite level. No, and I love that you brought up how BP just isn't the answer. So two of the best players in the game, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, they said they hit BP on the field maybe once a week, that they prefer to do the cages underneath, whether it's curveball machine, short bat work, flips, front toss. Like These are the two of the best players in the game that don't hit batting practice but once a week on the field. 
And so for those hitters out there that think they need BP all the time, like that isn't the answer. So they know what works for them. So that's what they do. They don't do what everybody else does just because they either have to or that it is the answer to everything. So I love that you brought that up right there. And a big thing I've been telling guys a lot lately is like going back to the fundamentals. So you mentioned the Kobe Bryant, the what he said about fundamentals is going back to that. And so what is fundamentals from a hitting standpoint? It all starts with what? Hitting the ball with the bat. What holds the bat? My hands. So my hands, they're the number one driver of the whole swing. So if my bat path is working the correct way, my hands are driving my swing. My body is athletic enough where you guys are now. It's going to work like it's supposed to. But now if I'm doing the total opposite, what a lot of young kids do and a lot of high school hitters that have found the weight room is they swing their body hoping that the bat makes contact with the ball and they fly off, they spin off. And these are starting to become more and more common with guys that are getting those flip rounds where they're trying to crush the ball 350 feet off front toss Mm -hmm. and they're flying off the ball instead of working their accuracy of their barrel. And so one thing I've been really preaching to the guys is if you drive the hands, the rest will take care of itself. So let's get back to basics and fundamentals of making sure that swing path is the right way. Uh, Tiger Woods, his swing coach used to talk to him about, Hey, you're so explosive with your lower half that, I need you to think my hands beat my lower half. Do they really? No. When you watch slow-mo, watch slow-mo video, you'll see his lower half wins. But for Tiger's brain to trigger and work like it was supposed to, to stay on the ball longer, he had to think his hands were beating his hips. Mm-hmm. And it worked for him. And so these – now you talk about with different players and different explosiveness. And if you're strong and you already have that, now it's let's be as accurate as we can with this barrel versus the other way around where – Hey, I'm big and strong. I'll run into it every now and then just because I'm going to swing in the same spot. So I can't tell you how many young hitters, like just watching some guys hit, it looks like they swing in the same spot no matter where the pitch is. And you've got them understand it's like, yes, your swing doesn't change, so to speak, mechanic-wise on different pitches, but you still have to swing at the ball and see the ball. I don't think a lot of guys are seeing the ball or knowing what part of the ball they're even attacking. I, I flip with guys and hit with guys. and Hey, what part of the ball are you hitting? Uh, I don't know. Or I don't the top? I don't know. And it's no, we want to hunt the inside bottom corner of the ball. That forces yourself to stay inside the ball. The best hitters in the world, what do they all do? They stay inside the baseball for a long time. So now it gets back to, well, coach, I thought y'all teach all this new technology, new school stuff. Well, there is new school stuff, but the old school stuff is still very important. That's why we talk about on this podcast is we're trying to bridge the gap of everything. And the more simple we can keep hitting, the more easy it is to be repeatable and you're not overcomplicating things up there at the plate. So I thought that was a great discussion just to kind of bounce ideas back and forth off of what we're seeing with guys and what to work on when you're doing lessons and what to work on outside of doing lessons and how it is important for these parents, everybody to be on the same page. And if there's a high school coach out there and he's having you do a certain drill, like we said before, is ask him why you're doing this drill. Don't just do it just because everybody's been doing it for five years and he's making you do it. Be the guy that asks, coach, I'm not trying to disrespect you, but like, what is the purpose of this drill? And see what he says. Maybe he'll be like, he'll, he'll think to himself like, oh, I don't know. Uh, I guess this is why we're doing it. Maybe he'll get turned off by it and say, just do it anyway and just go about your business. But you never really know until you ask. And what I would say is if you're confident enough to know that you're one of the best hitters on the team, and you ask, I promise you, he's probably going to give you an answer. Whereas maybe if you're not starting or you're not a strong hitter and you ask, it's going to look a little different there. So if you're having confidence, you're successful and you're one of the better players on the team is feel free to have these open conversations with him just to see where he's at and see if maybe y'all can bridge the gap and work together on some things. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this high school coach is like, Hey, what are you, why are you doing this drill for? And he goes, well, I saw coach Adam do it. So we're going to start doing this drill. <laughs> like, Hey, that's awesome, man. That's, 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 that's cool. Copying Adam. But what's the context behind yes. the drill? What are we doing? Like I, I have some videos that are 17, 18 minutes long for one drill. And I guarantee somebody watches just the execution of the drill. Like, all right, well, this is what we're doing. We're just going to start executing yep. this time. It's like, there's so like, Every drill that you do, you could talk for 10 plus minutes on it. it there, there's so many parts of it. Like it, we create new drills all the time just to kind of get some feels. And like you said, the new school, old school approach is like the, the, the old school is the feel guys. And I, I think that's so important. And, and we've had guys that think that feels the most important thing. And that's all they rely on. And, and the new school guys is, you know, what's really happening. The real, the actual, the actual data and stuff like that. And you can use both of those to your advantage. Um, and then I try to use those both to my advantage as much as possible. Um, and at the end of the day, like, you know, you could have the best results in the world as a hitting coach or as a, as a player, as a coach. Um, but the elite guys, it's like, I'm still trying to get even better results. I'm still trying to learn even more. It's, it's never like, all right, well, we're good enough. So boom, we're done. We're going to, we're going to hang up shop. Like everybody's going to start rolling in and everybody's going to start hitting bombs. So we're going to kind of lead in and kind of finish off with this last bar here. And it's kind of, uh, of parents taking things personal. Um, we're gonna, we touch on parents from time to time on the podcast. And um, I heard this story yesterday of, of a dad wanting to fight a coach. Uh, one of the kids, some of the stories that I hear when the kids <laughs> talk about just blows my mind. Like, you know, a kid could be like, man, I'm, I'm tearing it up. I'm feeling one thing. And the dad's like, well, you suck, you know, or, or this, this kid's like, he gets removed from a game. And apparently the dad was very upset about it. The story that I was, I was told and, and he was pacing around wanting to fight the guy. And I'm like, what in the hell is going on? Like, and, and so I kind of want to say this is like, you know, parents like decisions made by coaches uh, when it comes to the lineup and when it comes to the field, whatever it is, like they're making decisions and what they feel is best for the lineup, what they feel is best for the game, the best situation, put themselves in the best position for winning. Nothing is personal. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, like I, my, my, I was playing in South Alabama and there were certain times that I was taking out of certain games in college. My dad drove 12 hours down and didn't even get to see me play. Um, was I pissed off because I wanted to play? Hell yeah, I absolutely wanted to play. Did I deserve to play in certain instances? Yes, I probably did. In some instances, probably I was struggling. I shouldn't have. Um, but it's the game. Like the coach is making decisions. If you have a problem with it as a player, you go up and you talk to the coach. Like, hey, coach, I feel like I should I should be in this lineup right now. Hey, coach, I feel like I should be in this situation right now. Um, you know, or you talk to him after the game, whatever it is. Um, but your parents being upset and, and try to take things personal, like, you know, just because you're taken out of the game doesn't mean you suck just because you're taken out of the game. Doesn't mean your coach hates you. And I had, there's another story I'll tell you four or five years ago. I had, this is, this is a true story. And I still, to this day, it blows my mind, but this kid showed up, this dad showed up, uh, for the game. He had his family with him, he had his parents with him. Grandparents were there to watch the kid play. And there was, I think it was two games that day, but they were, the parents were coming there for the first game. And the kid didn't play. He was just one of the guys that didn't make the lineup that day. And there's, I think there's like 12 or 13 position players, whatever it was on the team. And the dad told me the story three days later. He goes, well, I feel like they should send a text out and let us know when they're not playing. So that way we don't, we don't all drive to the field and, and, and there we're there to watch the game and stuff. So that way we know, and we don't waste money and all this stuff like that. And I'm like, are you kidding me, man? Like my dad drove 12 hours away. And my dad drove two hours away. Yeah, he wanted to see me play, but he also drove two hours away to see me. Like, like and you're worried about your son playing in front of his grandparents, which he's going to see him many more times. Like, and, and, and you, sh- you feel like that you should be contacted via text 
or phone call when your son's not making the lineup. And I go, is this really where we are at in this day and age where a coach can't make a decision without somebody getting offended mm. and somebody, somebody taking things personal, like, Hey, like I'm purposely making you pay, you know, a $5 ticket to this game. So you could not watch your son play. Um, but I kind of wanted to touch on a couple of these stories right here and it just, and, and kind of get your opinion, Adam, and some of your experiences with this. Cause you know, at the end of the day, like it, this is a game. It's a part, it's, it's not who we are. It's a part of who we are. Um, but you know, everybody's trying to make the best decisions possible as a coach and, and we've got to stop allowing parents to think it's okay to take things personally. Well, what, they take it personally. And then what I don't like about it the most is they talk about it openly with their athlete away from the field. So like mm-hmm. at dinner tables in the car ride home. And so now parents may think this, they spread that onto their youth athletes and they're going back to practice thinking, coach doesn't like me or I should be doing this because my dad said so. And then they kind of infect the whole team with that. And they start to talk to other people on the team like, Hey, my dad thinks you should be playing this and I should be playing this. And next thing you know, it's like a cancer. And what I always have said with guys is like, there's two ways to cure it. You can either cut it out and get rid of it, or you just let it take over and ruin your whole team. And so parents, you have to stop with this stuff and having these conversations. If you think it all you want, Hey, that's on you. You think it, you can talk to it about it with your wife, but do not bring your kid involved in this because they're going to start, they're young athletes, and we talk about it all the time is they're watching us. They're watching what we talk about, watching what we do. So they're going to mimic the same things and go to their school or go to their team and talk about what my dad thinks we should be running the whole team and how this should all change. So it's baffling uh, for the story you just told. I couldn't believe that, that he expects to get a text message on who's going to play three days out whenever the guy writes the lineup probably 45 minutes before the game. is absolutely <laughs> just ridiculous. And, it, and it's so crazy that we're in this world, but – even at the youth level of travel baseball is I'm seeing so many kids that maybe thought they should have been playing shortstop play that full season with that team. The next year, their dad goes and starts his own team because his son's going to play shortstop now. Like it happens all over. So travel ball has become watered down because these dads are taking their sons off the team and starting their own team so they can dictate where their son's going to play. So I can promise you this, when you get to high school, you're not going to be able to do that. Same thing. If you get to play in college, like it's not happening. Uh, I remember I've talked with Coach Calvi. There was a former player that he was a junior at the time. and His dad comes into the office trying to dictate what's going to happen with the lineup. And Calvi basically told him, get out. Like, we're not doing this. <laughs> like, get out. I don't need you here. And it's just I would never have thought that that happened even at the college level. But I evidently, I guess that still continues. So, parents, just know your role. Sit back and relax and watch the game. If you think your son should be doing better, guess what? I promise you. Have you been going to practices to see how he's doing? Have you been going to the scrimmages, the inner squads to see how you're doing? Because everybody on the field will get an opportunity. Now, maybe some get more than others, but that's just the way the game goes. They need their reps in. But if your son's getting an opportunity and he doesn't perform, he's not going to see the playing time that he's supposed to. It's all about winning, production, what gives the player the best chance to win or what gives the team the best chance to win. Maybe this kid's playing second base. Yeah, maybe he doesn't hit as well as your son, but guess what? He plays the heck out of second base, and he's made one error all year. So that coach is looking at what does he do for me? He wins more ball games fielding than he does hitting, so he's going to stay there, and that's just the way it is. So you've always got to see the bigger picture to this and look at the numbers. Numbers really don't lie about things. So you can look at it and see, hey, here's the whole batting average on game changer. Here's on-base percentage. Here's OPS. And what I would say to his parents is, the big thing I like to look for now is for hitter standpoint is on base percentage, OPS, 
And then batting average has become kind of third for mine because it doesn't really tell the whole story. You can still have bad luck. But are these guys getting on base? Because that's how you're going to score runs. So I need guys that can get on base. But then the most important one is to dictate if a team is a good hitting team is look at what are they hitting with runners in scoring position? Because that's going to tell you who's the guys that can get it done when guys are on base in front of them. And that's what's ultimately going to knock runs in and win ball games too. So just as you're evaluating all of this super dads and moms and all this that think you know more than the coach does. Hey, just imagine if he came to your job and try to tell you exactly what to do or, Hey, it's three days out, but I think you need to let me know what you plan on doing this week uh, at the office. And so mm-hmm. it's just, it's mind boggling that we've gotten to this and it's out of control. And I'm glad you brought up the experience of yourself with your dad, because you don't know when your son's going to play if they're not an everyday person. Maybe they're struggling, they're going through something, and they have to sit again. Or, I mean, God forsake, if you're a pitcher and you're a bullpen guy, you don't ever know when you're coming in the game. So if you're traveling expecting to see your son, you might go the whole series without seeing him pitch just because his number never really got caught. So mm-hmm. just know that your kids had an opportunity to produce in practice, in the weight room, in inner squads, in games before, and maybe they didn't produce. It's just a part of it. We've played with guys before – at South Alabama in the fall, and we had the nickname of Fall Americans. Like, mm-hmm. would hit 500 in the fall, and then maybe the lights came on in the spring, and they got their opportunity, and they weren't ready for it, and so they found their way out of the lineup. Do, does the guy go back saying, well, I had a great fall. The fall doesn't mean anything anymore. It's what's going to help me win games right now, and yep. that's what it has to ultimately dictate. And you're watching these college games, and you're seeing more guys get yanked out of games now because these rosters are bigger. And limit your opportunity is even smaller now. So if you, you get 10 at bats and you go for 10 with seven strikeouts, you might not play for a while. That's just the way it is. Now, if you get in there and you have some great at bats, knock some balls around, you're going to get more of a chance to prove, okay, I think he can do this. But everything in this game is short lived and it's all about timing. You got to be the right place at the right time. And when you do, you've got to perform and get ready for this. So, yeah, that was a, a great topic. I'm glad you brought that up there because we talk about parents all the time and we're not trying to attack you guys. It's just, things that we hear from parents, but then we also get the coach too. So we kind of get the best of both worlds of what's going on in these circumstances. Cause when we coach games in the summer, we try to win games. Yeah. Do we try to be fair and try to get guys equal at bats? I think speaking from my standpoint is last summer, I remember I kind of knew my basic six or seven guys that are going to be in every day and they've earned that opportunity. And then there's going to be those four or five that you try to find ways to get them in there and everybody starts to learn their role. But I will say is the first two weeks, the two first two weekends, I remember specifically, we kind of pretty much hit everybody. Like everybody had an opportunity. And this was kind of like, hey, you've already did your tryout, so to speak. But now this is your game tryout. You get 10 games to show what you can do. And guess what? If somebody had a really good start, they're going to be in that lineup the rest of the way. Somebody maybe got off to a rough start. They're going to have to work their way to get in the lineup and then try to work their way to get up through the lineup. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, entitlement is a word that's, it's, uh, it's used a lot. I don't know if it necessarily, if it's overused, but you could be the best hitting instructor in the world. There's always going to be a parent that thinks they know better. You could be the best coach in the world. And like Calvi's a f- phenomenal division one coach. There's going to be a parent that thinks they know better. It, do- it, it literally does not matter how elite you are. There's always going to be somebody that, that is using personal feelings or personal vendettas or personal agendas, or maybe they're just that clueless that they're going to have an opinion on, um, I had a, a parent uh, a few years back in the Bulls that was upset and uh, left an evaluation saying that I played favorites on the field mm-hmm. um, and, and my kid didn't get enough ABs. And I looked at it and the kid that had the lowest amount of ABs was just 
10 or 15, 10 or 15 ABs less than the highest guy that had the most ABs. And then, and, and that's the thing is like, we're living in a world where it, people won't think it's okay to sit every now and then and, yep. and, and sit like, you know, you have 11, 12 players on a, on a team. You're going to have to sit. There's going to be a couple guys that sit every now and then, and you'll rotate guys in. And like you said, the guys that earn their ability to play every day, they're going to play. And, and at the end of the day, like, you know, you get your opportunity and you need to show because you want to be in the position where you're so good. You don't, there's no, that f- coach can't afford to take you out yep. in those situations. I my first couple of years at South, like I had, I had spots where I was really hot and spots where I would get cold. Um, and that showed. And then the last couple of years I was more consistent. And, 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 and that's the thing is like, you've got to understand, like you, nobody's perfect in this game and the coach is trying to win. Like you said, there's different avenues. Like, okay, yes, maybe your kid's hitting 50 points higher than this other kid, but if your kid sucks in the field, he's going to cost you runs in the game. That extra 50 points in the ba- 50 points of batting average means absolutely nothing. Yep. It means absolutely nothing. And we, we, you talk about certain positions that kids playing, people want to leave. We probably need to have a podcast episode where we focus on just it does not matter what position you play because I hear that story all the time. All the time. And I'm glad you brought up favorites because I get questions like, hey, Coach Adam, do you have favorites? And I'm like, you dang right I have favorites. They're the guys that bust their butt, the guys that don't complain. They play the right game, the game the right way. Does it mean they have to have the highest batting average or the most home runs? No, because there's guys that had the highest batting average and most home runs that I didn't like. They're just good Mm -hmm. ball players. But personally, I didn't like the way they played. So, yes, when we have favorites or coaches have favorites, it's because of the stuff that they do off the field and how they handle themselves on the field. Not always is it about – Yes, he's my favorite because he's my MVP stat-wise. That's not mm-hmm. it. It's just what is the other thing? So you want to learn how you can become a coach's favorite or a teacher's favorite is you do the extra stuff and do it 100 miles an hour and play to win the game. Don't play and be selfish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's the perfect way to end it right there, guys. Um, we're going to keep uploading more episodes week to week and like we usually do. Uh, after that break for spring break, uh, we're going to upload these clips, man. And, and guys, give us some feedback once we start uploading these clips and short clips and tips of the day. Um, if there's anything you guys want to know, any questions you have, obviously you can shoot me and Adam an email. You can message us on, on social media and so forth. Um, but we really enjoyed this episode and, and, and we're looking forward to the next one, guys. So if you enjoyed it, please leave that five-star review. Until next time, we'll see you guys later.